Father in heaven, we thank you that you have blessed us to make it safely through another week. We thank you for your amazing grace and your tender mercies. And Father, we ask you to please forgive us of our sins, to send us your Holy Spirit, that he may come and teach us and open our eyes and help us to behold wondrous things from your word. And Lord, I ask that you'll do something special in this group tonight, something that mere humanity cannot do, but only divinity and humanity combined can do. I thank you, dear God, for hearing this prayer, and I trust that you have answered it, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great things that is the focus of God's people in these last days is to receive the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. While we have received showers of blessings at different times, there still is a great outpouring that the Lord wants to give. The Bible calls it the latter rain. The latter rain should be the focus of every one of us because it is through the power of the latter rain that we are able to give what the Bible refers to as the loud cry. The loud cry work is a work that must be done. It has to happen here in Canada. It has to happen throughout the U.S. and throughout the world. And this should be the focus of everything that we do is, Father, how can our conferences, how can my morning manna, how can my morning and evening worship, how can my midweek services, how can my efforts in the work, how could all these things better prepare me to be a recipient of your Holy Spirit through that wonderful latter rain experience that I may give the loud cry. And you will find that there are many different ideas and thoughts and concepts that comes up with this, but I wanna share a quotation with you from the Spirit of Prophecy that says, in the Youth Recorder 310, it says, every truly converted soul will be intensely desirous to bring others from the darkness of error into the marvelous light of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Every truly converted soul. It says, the great outpouring of the Spirit of God, which lightens the whole earth with his glory, that's Revelation 18. It says, the great outpouring of the Spirit of God, which lightens the whole earth with his glory, will not come. Will not come until we have an enlightened people that know by what? Experience. That know by experience what it means to be laborers together with God. You know, in the business world, they have something called the 80-20 rule. And in the business world, the 80-20 rule simply means that 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. It's a shame because that which should have hopefully just been reserved in secular business, we are now seeing in the church as well. 80% of the work done by 20% of the people. And we do not understand that if we do not play our part, brothers and sisters, did you know that it's an issue of salvation for you? In other words, if we are going to think that we're going to leave it up to the leadership to let them go ahead and do the work while we sit back and just watch the results, brothers and sisters, you might be losing a lot more than just an opportunity. 
Christ wants us to understand that there is a work for every single one of us to do. It's not that God cannot turn Canada upside down. If Jesus can work through 12 human beings and then even one of them became the ultimate apostate, but yet God was able to work through a small number and turn the world upside down, what in the world could God do with all of you in just the, in the, just the country of Canada? If we could just simply capture the vision and see ourselves through the eyes of Christ and what he can do in us and through us for his glory, you would be amazed at what God can do with such simple instruments like you and I. I want to finish this quote because I'm building here. It says, when we have entire wholehearted consecration to the service of Christ, God will recognize the fact by an outpouring of his spirit without measure. You see, right now we've been getting measurable pourings. But God longs for the day that he can do an outpouring of his spirit without measure. That the world can be lit up with the glory of God. This is what Christ is waiting for. And the problem is not with Jesus. The problem is simply with you and I. Oh, if we could just cooperate with him. Now look at this. It goes on to say, God will recognize the fact by an outpouring of his spirit without measure, but this will not be while the largest portion of the church are not laborers together with God. I often thought about what is it that God cannot do? And I would often say God cannot, what, that, that, that is an oxymoron statement. What do you mean God cannot do? God can do anything, but then God told me God cannot do something. Look at what he says. It says God cannot pour out his spirit when selfishness and self-indulgence are so manifest. God actually cannot pour out his spirit if self remains the focus. And this is why we need to come to that cross and we need to behold it in such a way that by beholding Jesus, we can actually become changed and get to a point that we can realize that I can count my life but dung for the glory of God, for his work being done and for his work being finished in this generation. This is the message that came to you last night. Mission or trip, which one is it? Your life has to become a mission, brothers and sisters. It is time to finish the work. Now, understanding this reality, we know that God wants us to do a great work, but now I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 18 with me. In 2 Samuel, chapter 18, it is true. God wants us to go out. God wants us to serve. God wants us to tell others about his soon coming and about the realities of the events that will come before he comes because you do understand something's coming before the second coming of Christ. I am often uh, uh, challenged when I see us as God's people, we talk so often about the second coming of Jesus and we're trying to say that Jesus' coming is soon. Is it soon? Yes? Oh yeah, it's soon. But brothers and sisters, if the second coming of Jesus is soon, then that means that Revelation 13 is even sooner. Is that right? And that's a final crisis, brothers and sisters, that I don't understand why it is that many a times we don't talk enough about the crisis. We try to make the Word of God fight itself. Oh, don't talk about the crisis. Just talk about Christ. Jesus talked about the crisis. You read Mark the 13th chapter and you tell me what he's talking about. He makes it clear. He says, when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet 
stand in the holy place. It'll at that time be to do, and Jesus gives all sorts of instruction on how to prepare for the final crisis. Now, brothers and sisters, if Jesus found it relevant enough to make me aware of it, I, as God's minister and servant, must make you aware of it. If Jesus is coming soon, that means that crisis is even sooner. And brothers and sisters, there's a reason that crisis is called a final. Right now, many of us are going through life and we're going through pop quizzes. We're going through some various challenges in all different shapes, forms, and sizes. But when that final crisis hits, brothers and sisters, there's a reason it's called a final. Because if you fail that test, there's no rebound. And Jesus loves us way too much to not make us aware of how to prepare for that final crisis. In 2 Samuel, the 18th chapter, I want to show you something because we have a people who named the name of the remnant that need to be prepared. And then we have a world outside of the remnant church that also needs to be prepared. We have a dual work to do. We have to prepare those within the church. We have to prepare those without the church. And brothers and sisters, this cannot come by might nor by power, but only by God's spirit. But when we get ready to do the work as God laid it out for us to do, did you know that God gave a story in the Bible that you and I would do well to pay attention to it? Now, it is because of time that I'm going to go ahead and give you a little bit of the backdrop, but I want you to listen carefully to what's taking place. Rebellion kicks in in King David's house through his son Absalom. Absalom turns against David, and of course, there's a whole story. Unfortunately, David finds himself on the run. But eventually all things work out where David is able to have a little bit of solace, but his heart is concerned about his son now. And now it gets to the point that Absalom, he's reigning and, and he's, he's gloating over his victories over his own father, so he thinks. And eventually he finds himself on the run and Joab and his associates are pursuing him and Absalom gets his hair stuck up in the tree and he's caught and of course Absalom dies. After this takes place, I want you to see what the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 19. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 18 and verse 19, it says, Then said Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, let me now run and bear the king tidings, how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. So Ahimeaz, he wants to go ahead and go to King David to tell him what just took place as it relates to his son and all these other events. Now watch this. Joab responds to him in verse 20. Notice what Joab says. It says, And Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt bear no tidings, because the king's son is dead. Did Ahimeaz understand that the king's son was dead? Yes? Yeah. Joab made it plain. Joab told him to his face, The king's son is dead. Now I want you to watch this. Verse 21. Then said Joab to Cushai, Go tell the king what thou hast seen. And Cushai bowed himself unto Joab and ran. Then said Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, yet again to Joab, but, but howsoever, let me, I pray thee, also run after Cushai. Now I want you to notice what Joab says. Catch the picture. Absalom is dead. Ahimeaz comes on the scene and Ahimeaz says, let me go and tell the king what happened and how the Lord had victory over his enemies. Joab said, nope, don't do that. Don't do it yet. You'll get a chance to do it, but not yet. Because he says the king's son is dead. Give it a time. 
But then Joab goes to Cushai, and Joab says to Cushai, Cushai, I want you to go ahead and tell the king. Ahimeaz gets wind of it, and Ahimeaz says, mm-mm, I want to do it. So now Ahimeaz is asserting himself, and he's saying, no, let me go and tell. Look at how Joab responds. The Bible says in verse 22, And Joab said, Wherefore wilt thou run, my son, seeing that thou hast no tidings ready? Joab was telling him, Ahimeas, why do you want to run when you don't have a message? Verse 23, but howsoever said he, let me run. And he said unto him, run. In other words, Ahimeaz asserted himself. Joab says, all right, fine, go, run. And now look at what it says. It says, then Ahimeaz ran by the way of the plain. And what did he do? He overran Cushai. Cushai was probably doing his regular pace. And next thing you know, Ahimeaz runs right past him. He overruns Cushai. Let's notice what happens in the rest of this story. It says in verse 28, Ahimeaz now arrives in front of David, and notice what the Bible says. It says, And Ahimeaz called and said unto the king, All is what? Well. And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king, and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Ahimeaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and me thy servant, I saw a great multitude, but I knew not what it was. Did you just hear Ahimeaz's report? Is that true? Did Ahimeaz clearly know what took place? But nevertheless, we find that Ahimeaz, he overruns Cushai, he finally gets to David, and he's in front of the person that he wants to go ahead and relay a message to, and when he gets in front of the person to give the message, he doesn't even give the right message. Messengers without a message. Messengers without a message. It goes on to say, and the king said, is the young man Absalom safe? And Ahimeaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servant and me thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. And the king said unto him, turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and stood still, and behold, Cushai came. And Cushai said, tidings, my lord the king, for the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. And the king said unto Cushai, is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, the enemies of my lord the king, and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. And David understood, my son is dead. E.J. Wagner was writing out a wonderful article talking about the end time events. And when he wrote this article, he actually had a statement to say about Cushai that I thought was very interesting. E.J. Wagner made this statement here. We sometimes get in too big a hurry for the end. He said, you will say, how can we get in too great a hurry for the end? Well, we do. And on the principle of that old proverb that we learned as children, the more haste, the less speed. An old proverb, the more haste, 
the less speed. Listen to this. He says, sometimes we get in so great a hurry for the end that we rush on toward the end without beginning at the beginning. And then we have to go back and begin over again. And that delays the end. So our haste to the end without taking time to begin at the beginning only puts off the time that we would so gladly see come. The case of Ahimeaz is an illustration. He had no tidings, yet he wanted to run. And he was permitted to run. He proved to be a faster runner than Cushai, yet he had to stand aside and everything had to wait for the man who carried the message. Nothing was gained by the haste of Ahimeaz. General Conference Bulletin, page 68, March 30th, 1903. Brothers and sisters, I believe with all of my heart it's time to let Canada know that time is almost finished. I believe that it is time to make it clear that the crisis is about to come and Jesus Christ is about to come. I believe that we have to make these things so plain and so pointed, but brothers and sisters, I dare not stand before you and send you out as messengers until I first know that you got God's message right. The last thing we want to do is go out in the field and be a bunch of ahemiazes. That's the last thing that you want to do, brothers and sisters. You see, if we properly understood gospel evangelism, you would find that Christ would first train the people before he'd send them out. And that makes sense. Because there was a guy one time who thought he had a connection with Jesus and he saw a whole bunch of sons of Sceva that was possessed by demons and he came to them and he said, in the name of Jesus and in the name of Paul, I tell you to come out. And you know what that person said? Jesus I know. Paul I know. Who are you? It can be dangerous when you're a messenger without a message. It can be dangerous. And brothers and sisters, Christ wants us to become these armies of soldiers that can rightly be trained so that we can go out and finish the work. There's no question about that. But brothers and sisters, you got to make sure you got the right message because right now there's a lot of perverted gospels that are going out. Did you know that? And Jesus doesn't want us to go out and give people a perverted gospel. He wants us to give the everlasting gospel, the one that lasts. You see, when I show you this picture, what comes to your mind? Brothers and sisters, that picture says so much. I have made a decision that just about every meeting that I do, I want to put this picture before the people. Because I find that Satan has somehow become very successful, even in the minds of most Seventh-day Adventists, even those who profess present truth, to honestly think that they're giving the message and they don't even understand what that's all about right there. It's so easy to say, oh, we're going out and giving the gospel. Brothers and sisters, make sure you're giving the right one. What does this picture tell us? I see Jesus in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. 
And he's doing a tremendous work there. And whatever he's doing there, he's trying to download information in yours and my mind so we can know how to experience it and articulate it with power from the Holy Spirit to those you come in contact with on a regular basis. When you look at that picture, what comes to your mind? What do you think about? How many of us would say by looking at this picture that we see Jesus doing a finishing work? Do you see Jesus doing a finishing work in there or is, is he doing a beginning work? What do you see? It's all right. You can answer back if you'd like. What do you see Jesus doing? He's doing a finishing work, right? Now, let me ask you something. You believe Jesus is about to come, right? Why hasn't he come yet? I'm, I'm, I'm very serious when I ask you this question because I believe with all of my heart, Seventh-day Adventists should be able to know how to answer these questions very simply. Because guess what? Somebody will ask you that when you knock on their door. You Christian people have been telling me about Jesus' coming, and I heard that when I was four years old, now I'm 40 years old, and he still hasn't come yet. What's going on? What's the delay? If somebody asks you the question, honestly, as a child of God who believes God's message and God's truth, and someone said, where's Jesus? Why hasn't he come yet? You guys keep talking about this thing. What's the holdup? What's he waiting for? What would your answer be? He's waiting for us to what? All right, waiting for us to get ready. Get ready for what? Brothers and sisters, I am dead serious. You know, sometimes people put together messages to... to I want to talk to you as God's people. I want to study. I want to study. You know why? Because conferences have been going on for a long time now. The work's still not finished yet. I have traveled so many different countries and so many different parts of the United States of America. The work's not finished yet. We come up with all sorts of new ideas how to get the gospel out, and the work is still not finished. What is Jesus waiting for, brothers and sisters? His character reflected in his people, but what does that even look like? What does it look like when Jesus' character is reflected in people? Because people want to know. People want to say, hey, I feed the homeless, Jesus fed the homeless, so what's up with that? I'm reflecting his character. He hasn't come yet. Salvation Army, man, who, who does humanitarian work better than them? That's what, that's what people say. That picture says a lot. The answer's in the picture. Why hasn't he come yet? All right, let's do it this way. What is Jesus doing right now in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary? He's doing what? Okay, I heard investigative judgment. Who said something different from investigative judgment? Okay, what did you say? Intercession. Intercession. Now, was he doing that in the holy place? Yes. Yes. So that, that means that it must be something more significant that he's been doing since 1844. Because he was already intercessing for us even in the, most holy in the holy place. Now, I'm not saying he's not still intercessing. I'm just saying that he was doing that even before 1844. That's all I'm saying. Got to be something else. What else is he doing? Blotting out sin? All right. Would you agree that Christ is doing a cleansing work? Is, is it safe to say that? Under 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be what? Cleansed. Okay, question. Why isn't the sanctuary clean yet? Huh? 
show me from the Bible why is it that that sanctuary is not cleansed yet? We're studying. Do you know how easy it is for me to take some words and letters and put it together and give you a nice sermon for 40 minutes and then just go back to my hotel room? The problem is, is that I'll feel good about that, but I don't know what it does for you. I want you to think. I want you to be able to really think through the Word of God who you are and what you believe. Because we are told in the book Evangelism, page 363, so clearly that it says, in place of so much sermonizing, what God's people need to do is come together and study text by text to know what they believe. That's what I want to do with you. I don't want to sermonize you. There's plenty of that. Evangelism 2.22 says that's the easy part of ministry. I don't want to do anything easy tonight. I want to study. Make me sweat. Christ is doing a cleansing work right now. Huh? Go to Leviticus 16. Why isn't the sanctuary clean yet? Leviticus 16. In Leviticus 16, we're going to start at verse 16. All right? Leviticus 16, verse 16. Let's deal with it. You see, brothers and sisters, you got to get your message right. Once you get your message right, you know what to share. And when you get your message right up here, and then you cooperate with the message in Jesus in here, it becomes a lot easier to share it out there. Are you following? Get the message right in here, then let it go from here to here, and then it be, it's a lot easier to share it out there. Because now you're not going through a whole bunch of intellectual battles. Now you're going through the experiences that you have had with Jesus that no one can take away from you. One man with experience will dominate 99 men with theory. Don't forget that. When you experiment the power of the gospel, nobody could tell you nothing. Nothing. Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16, notice what the Bible says starting at verse 16. We're dealing with that picture right there in the type. Now notice what the Bible says. In Leviticus 16, 16, the Bible spells it out real nice. Notice what it says. It says... And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it. And shall take of the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hollow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. What's being cleansed so far by the blood? What's being cleansed, what's being cleansed so far? Because blood is being applied in a lot of different places. Generally speaking, what is being cleansed right here? Say again. The same Sin, okay, that, what, there's an it, it keeps saying it. What is the it that's being cleansed? The altar, but it talked about other parts too, didn't it? So what does it all make up? The altar into this, into that. What does it all make up? The sanctuary, very good. So what's being cleansed? The sanctuary, right? Good. Now, look at verse 30, same chapter. 
there's two things that have to be cleansed. Verse 30. The Bible says in Leviticus 16 and verse 30, For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse what? You. That you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Question. Question. What's being cleansed in verse 30? Us or the people. And they're being cleaned from what? How much of their sins? All their sins. Now, we see then that the sanctuary has to be cleansed, but we also see that the people have to be cleansed. Now, since 1844, Seventh-day Adventists believe that Jesus entered the most holy place not simply to forgive sins, not simply to cover sin, but to completely blot it out, that the sanctuary may be cleansed. Now, again, I ask you the question, why is it that the sanctuary hasn't been cleansed yet? He's been there for 168 years. What's taking so long? Until there's a clean people, no clean sanctuary. I love to use the little Johnny story. So if you heard me use the little Johnny story, just act like you never heard it before. Mother is preparing for Sabbath. And as mother is preparing for Sabbath, she's, she's getting down, she's cleaning up the whole house, but she gets down to the final point where she's now mopping the floor. It's her last project in the house. Mother is mopping that floor, mopping that floor, mopping that floor, and mother sees that all I got to do is a few more strokes and I'm done, ready for the Sabbath. And next thing you know, as she's almost done mopping that floor, she hears a rumble like an earthquake. All of a sudden, she hears a rumble. It's the footsteps of her son, little Johnny. Little Johnny comes running in the house. Boom, he bursts through the door and runs across the kitchen floor with mud all over his feet. The floor is dirty again. If mother wants a clean floor, what is she going to have to do? Have to start mopping again. So here goes mother, mopping again, mopping again. So mother's mopping, 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 and mother's trying real hard to just mop that floor to get it clean. She's almost done, and that familiar rumble takes place. It's little Johnny, he bursts through the door, he has mud all over his shoes, and he runs across the floor again. If mother wants a clean house, what does she have to do? Somebody says she's gonna have to get rid of Johnny. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, mother's going to have to make Johnny aware, listen, either the muddy sneakers stay out or you stay out. Is that right? Since 1844, Jesus has been mopping the floor of the heavenly sanctuary. And every time Christ gets close to finishing, he has a whole bunch of Seventh-day Adventist little Johnnies that keeps sending the mud of sin back into the sanctuary that he must continue his cleansing work. The great focus of Jesus is that through the power of the indwelling Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit, that his righteous life can be lived out through you and me. That's his focus. That's the work that Christ wants to do. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. Helping the homeless, did Jesus do that work? 
Was that a good work? Should we do that work? Can a heathen do that work? So is it a perfect reflection of his image? No. Clothing the naked. Did Jesus do that work? Is that a good work? Should we do that work? Can a heathen do that work? Is that a perfect reflection of his image? Feeding the hungry. Did Jesus do that work? Is that a good work? Should we do that work? Can a heathen do that? Still not a perfect reflection. Was Jesus tempted in all points, but would not sin? Was that a good work? Can we do that work? Can a heathen do that work? You just found your dividing line. Christ is not waiting for us simply to do the next level of humanitarian work. Humanitarian work is a necessity. Anybody who is filled with the Spirit of Christ cannot look at someone who is hungry and not provide them something to eat. Anyone who is filled with the Spirit of Christ cannot look at someone who is naked and not want to clothe them. Anyone who is filled with the Spirit of Christ will never know that they are prisoners in the prison house and not have a desire within to go ahead and reach them. So by no means am I minimizing all of our various forms of humanitarian work and helping others build their homes back up and going ahead and feeding those who are hungry and going ahead and giving them food. Brothers and sisters, I would never knock that because Jesus did that and he showed that, that that's also a reflection of his character. But brothers and sisters, Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. And it is when the character of Christ is perfectly reproduced in his people, then Jesus will come. And Jesus was tempted in all points, but he would prefer to die than sin. And brothers and sisters, you and I must get to that experience. This is the great message of Jesus, to tell the world that Christ came in the very nature of fallen man that we all have, and yet he was tempted in all points and did not sin, and praise God, through him dwelling within you, you can do it too. Amen. Brothers and sisters, that's incredibly good news. Do you know how many people honestly keep practicing sin because they feel there's no way out of it? They honestly feel like, I can't get out of it, I can never live above this. And my thing is, if God can give you victory over smoking, he can give you victory over sex. And if God can give you victory over sex, he can give you victory over alcohol. And if God can give you victory over alcohol, he can give you victory over any vice. Amen. Jesus wants to simply develop a people that will cease to do the thing that is keeping him up there and not bringing him back down here. Let me show you something about the mind of Jesus. You remember, you remember Philippians 2, 5, right? Go to Philippians 2 and verse 5. Look at this. Philippians 2 and verse 5. Oh, my. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, it's a text I'm sure many of us know by memory. What does the Bible say in Philippians 2 and verse 5? The Bible says so clearly, it says, let this what? Mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The Bible makes it clear that God wants us to have the mind of Christ. Amen? Now, let me introduce to you the mind of Jesus when he walked on this earth. Go to John chapter 4. In John the fourth chapter, I want you to see the mind of Jesus when he walked on this earth. Because I believe with all my heart, his mind must be your mind and my mind. 
In John the fourth chapter, we find very clearly in the Bible that Jesus says this. Jesus is having a dialogue with a sister at the well. And as he's dialoguing with his sister and he's talking with her, eventually it gets to a point that his disciples see that he was laboring so hard that they actually had compassion on their master. And look at what they said in John chapter 4, right there in verse 31. The Bible says in John 4 and verse 31, it says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat! They were watching Jesus work so hard that they said to themselves, You got to be hungry, Master, eat some food! Here it is, Jesus gives them a nice little response in verse 32, where he says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. In other words, Jesus is, they're coming to him, Master, eat. Jesus says, I already ate. They're, they're scratching their heads now because, you know, they love to serve their master, so they're thinking to themselves, wait a minute, he ate already? And notice how it spells it out in verse 33. In verse 33, what is it saying? It says, therefore said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him on to eat? Who did our job? Who brought him food? Jesus realizes what they're thinking, and then he clarifies in verse 34, and I love how he says it. Look at what he says in verse 34. He says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus had such a mindset that if there was a choice between eating or working for his father, he would choose to let working for his father be his dietary substitute. You're talking about a man who was focused when he walked on this earth. You talk about mission-minded? Many of us today, as soon as we say, let's go out into the field and share Jesus with others, all of a sudden that belly just has to go, just a little bit. And all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, I, we'll go out next week. Potlucks today. Some people will actually not go out and share Jesus with others. Why? Over a pot of porridge. Christ says, listen, if I had to make a choice between food or serving others, Jesus says, I'll serve others and let that be my food. Jesus' focus, brothers and sisters, was incredible. He would even keep his body under subjection so that the will of God would be done. Then it got to the point, Jesus says, finishing the work. Do you know that even after this, when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross and he was getting ready to die, it was interesting when Jesus was praying to his father and he said that most miraculous prayer that inspiration tells us should be that chapter that we should meditate on and study, John 17. Go to John 17. Notice what Jesus says now. In John the 17th chapter, look at how Christ speaks here. In John 17, the Bible says in verse 3, This same Jesus who walked on this earth and wanted to finish the work, he says in John 17 and verse 3, he says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And now look at what he says to the Father. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have what? Finished the work which thou gavest me to do. His focus in life was finishing the work. Not starting it, not maintaining it, finishing it. He gets to the point that he knows I'm about to die. And as he's preparing to die, he now goes before his father and he says, Father, I've glorified thee in the earth. I've done what you told me to do. I've finished the work. And Jesus was so consumed with finishing the work that I wonder what was the very last words to come out of his mouth before he died. 
John 19. In John 19, notice what the Bible says right there in verse 30. When Jesus... Jesus is there now, and in John 19 and verse 30... Notice how the Bible spells it out. It says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Very last words of Jesus, it is finished. And the Bible says the next thing he did is he died. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that if you were to simply look at the evangelistic activities that we typically plan, if you were to look at things that we call recreation. You know, I, I lear I've learned this. I teach this to uh, my children by the grace of God, and I teach this wherever I go to tell others. Do you know that if we had the mind of Christ, you could be saved from a thousand perils? Brothers, the next time you see a sister, and she might be absolutely gorgeous in your eyes, and one day you may even think about getting to the point of courtship and marriage, one of the things I want you to do is I want you to observe her well enough and ask yourself this question, how will she help me finish the work? If you cannot answer that question in affirmative, cut her off. Sisters, you can meet Prince Charming, and he might say all the right things and manifest all the right characteristics and the whole nine yards, but sisters, you get to a point that you ask yourself this question, if I let this man in my life, how will he help me finish the work? That's the only reason why God brings couples together. God does not bring people together so they can just go ahead and let go of some animalistic passions that they couldn't do in the name of sin, so now they're married, so now they think they can just have free reign at it. A lot of people like that getting married nowadays. Lustful appetite up inside of them, and they couldn't control it, so they said, let's walk down the aisle, quick! You think that's why Jesus brings people together? No. Jesus says that I called them help meets. They're supposed to help me meet my mission. Are you following? I'm so serious. Because the Adventist home is severely under attack right now. I don't know if time is going to allow me, but I have some points here to show you on the Adventist home. But brothers and sisters, what I'm telling you is that everything is about finishing the work. Somebody comes to you, hey man, let's go outside and let's go play some basketball against ABC team. Before you join that recreation, ask yourself, how will this game help me finish the work? There is re-creation, and there is wreck the creation. Are you following? So when somebody calls me up for ABC activities, I got to just say, is it re-creation or is it wreck the creation? If it's wreck the creation, that's not going to help me finish the work. If it's re-creation, oh, that's definitely going to help me finish the work. Are you following? Oh, brothers and sisters, when you go to the supermarket... And you go ahead and you start looking at Sprite is all right. <laughs> Before you buy, put that thing in your shopping cart, you say to yourself, how will high fructose corn syrup help me finish the work? <laughs> do you understand what I'm, <laughs> you know, do you see, I'm serious. How will this thing help me finish the work? How's white bread going to help me finish the work? I always tell people, love white people, hate white food. <laughs> That's right. How will white bread help me finish the work? I am so serious. How will that big bloody piece of steak help me finish the work? 
because I know what it's going to do to my body when it's time to go out. I'm going to say, oh, my stomach hurts. When it's time for me to think through the scriptures, my brain is clouded. So therefore, everything, you can take every dynamic, sisters, brothers, when you go shopping, it's time to buy your clothing. Ask yourself the question, how will these garments help me finish the work? I was showing the boot camp yesterday that our dress is living preachers. Every outfit that you and I put on is preaching a sermon. There's only one question to ask. When you get dressed, go into the mirror before you leave the room and say, what's the sermon that this outfit is preaching? Is it a finish the work sermon? I guarantee if you adopt this way of thinking, you'll be able to start sparing yourselves from a thousand perils. A thousand perils. Now, is there a work for us to finish? No doubt. Go to Revelation 10. Let's talk about it. Look at what Revelation 10 says. Revelation, the 10th chapter, is right there. There is a work to be finished. And I want you to see this. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 10. Revelation, the 10th chapter. I love that picture. Revelation chapter 10 is the history of the Advent movement and the Seventh Day Adventist movement. You know, I know that sometimes we just have a lazy tongue, so we just like to say Adventist, but I do want to let you know that you are Seventh Day Adventists. Amen? Our Presbyterian friends might be Adventists, our Pentecostal friends are Adventists. Our Baptist friends are Adventists. Even Jehovah's Witnesses are Adventists. But there's only one group that's Seventh-day Adventists. Are you following? There's so much in that name. Don't be ashamed of that name. In Revelation 10 and verse 7, it tells us something very powerful that is to take place. It says in Revelation 10, 7, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, it says something's going to happen. What's going to be finished? The mystery of God should be finished. I wonder what the mystery of God is. Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, what is the mystery of God? Notice what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians, the first chapter, here's what the Bible says. We'll just look at verses 26 and 27. I'd love to read the previous verses to give more context, but for time's sake... Colossians 1, 26 and 27. Notice what the Bible says. It says, Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you. The hope of glory. That's that mystery, brothers and sisters. Jesus reflecting his image through us to the point that his image is so much our image that we'll be able to light up the world with God's glory. And when the world will be lit up with God's glory, there'll definitely be something absent. You want to know what it is? Sin. You want to know why? All have sinned and come short of the... But a time is going to come where the people of God are going to light up the earth with God's glory. Perfect reflection. With God, this is possible. 
For Jesus to begin his service, there was a place that he started. Let me give an example of what I mean here. I want you to look at this. When we think about Jesus serving, give me an example of how Jesus served. Just anybody, give me an example. Quick, shoot it out. On this side, how did he serve? Healing people. Beautiful. On this side, how did he serve? What did he do? Teaching people. Beautiful. In the back, how did he serve? Washing his disciples' food. Beautiful. All right. My two over here. It's just one of you, so go ahead. Okay, ditto. Now, watch this. Watch this. Watch this. While we see Jesus serving, I want you to notice something. You see, it is typical that when we think of Jesus serving, we think about the fact that he was doing things like feeding the 5,000. That's what people think when they think of Jesus serving. When we think about Jesus serving, we think about him healing all those who were blind, lame, dumb, and sick. These are the things people think about when they think about Jesus in his servanthood. When they think about Jesus serving, they, of course, remember him as a preacher and as a teacher of righteousness. But do you know where Jesus began his service? Because, brothers and sisters, where Jesus began his service, this is where you need to begin your service. It was his home life. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, if any man provide not for his home, he is not an infidel. The Bible says he's worse than an infidel. I believe with all of my heart that if one of the people that's going to fill hell is going to be a lot of people who are in ministry. We can get so busy. You know, I, I thought to myself, I said, woe be unto me if I help any other woman understand present truth and my wife is ignorant of it. Woe be unto me if I help little children understand present truth and my own children are ignorant of it. Woe be unto me. God will say you worked out of order and I'm a God of order. Are you following? Inspiration says, Jesus is our example. There are many who dwell with interest upon the period of his public ministry. So in other words, when we talk about Jesus, notice that all the answers we gave all related to his public ministry. Inspiration knew that that was a problem with us. It says, there are many who dwell with interest upon the period of his public ministry while they pass unnoticed the teaching of his early years. It says, but it is in his home life that he is the pattern for all children and youth. Brothers and sisters, while we must serve and while we must make sure that as we gain an experience with Jesus, now God has empowered us that we can go ahead and serve, but the service should begin at home. It's amazing how a husband can lose patience with his wife so quickly when she may not do something that pleases him, but if another woman in the church messes up 1,500 times, that same man says, well, sister, it's all right. Eventually, Jesus will give you strength. Why is it that we're more tender with people outside our home than with the very one that we pledged to live with and love and cherish and honor for the rest of our lives? Why is it that we lose such quick patience with those whom we're married to? But we're so patient with those that we don't even remember their names. Hypocrisy, brothers and sisters. Are you following? 
A woman can go ahead and tell her husband off in a hot second just because he might have done something wrong. But another guy does something wrong and she says, oh, I understand. <laughs> What's up with that? Sisters, how could we snap on our husbands, the man who is pledged to protect you, to love you, and to provide for you? And you snap on him, but the guy outside of the home gets all of this demonstration of patience and love and compassion. Parents are ready to yell at their children by the very fact that they did not do what we told them to do in a timely manner. But when the children run up and down in the sanctuary, when God sometimes can send a first-class lightning bolt if he wanted to, to singe that child right there. But here it is that he's merciful, isn't he? Do you know Child Guidance, page 533, tells us that when we allow our children to play on the Sabbath, that God looks upon the parents as Sabbath breakers? And yet we'll be so merciful to children outside of our home. Oh, little children, you shouldn't do that. But then if our children do it, boy, and, and we're ready to just yell on them, beat them, and do all these different things. It's because we have a backwards ministry. We know how to be more kind, loving, forgiving, compassionate, and so on and so forth with those outside of our home and those within our home. Out of order. Out of order. Jesus mastered serving in the home. And I want you to think about this. Jesus was in the home for 30 years. And it only took him three and a half years to finish the work. He mastered it. Jesus has been in the most holy place 168 years ago, and 2012 is almost gone. Maybe Christ is saying, all this work is being done outside. I mean, we stay up late hours trying to come up with ideas and projects. We pray, we fast, and we labor to try to see how can we reach the souls? But then Jesus says, you have souls in your own home that need to be reached. Are you staying up late? Are you praying and pleading with God? Are you fasting and saying, Lord, how can I win my wife? How can I win my husband? How can I win my children? Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. I am consumed with the thought that, Father, keep my children alive long enough that they know how to love you on their own, whether daddy's around or not. That's my, do you know that that's my focus? That's my mission? Lord, help me to get my children to love Jesus so much do you know that when this final crisis breaks loose and the Sunday law passes and we begin to be tested with most severe tests, do you understand that many of our children are going to be taken away from us? Brothers and sisters, this thing is serious. I believe it. I believe it. Children will be taken away from their parents and therefore parents should be doing right now, Lord, help me to show my child how to love Jesus more than life. Because only love for Jesus will enable someone to be counted amongst the patient saints that keep God's commandments. Jesus served in the home. We must serve in the home. He was not just an example for every child and youth, according to Desire of Ages 74, but Jesus was also an example for every adult. It says in Ministry of Healing 350, the Savior's early years are more than an example to the youth. They are a lesson and should be an encouragement to every parent. The circle of family and neighborhood duties is the very first field of effort for those 
who would work for the uplifting of their fellow men. God has spoken. Brothers and sisters, we got to reach Canada. There's no question about that. Canada is very secular, and there's a lot of people that are going to Christless graves, and something must be done about this. But the first thing we have to do is make sure you are not an Ahimeas. Know your message. Know something. The woman at the well, she did share Jesus, but it's because she knew something about him. Brothers and sisters, what I'm saying is, is that you must gain an experience with Christ. And in that experience, now you have something to tell. And people will be able to see that you're not acting. Jesus said, woe to you Pharisees, hypocrites. And one day the Spirit of the Lord impressed my mind to look up that word hypocrite. You know what the word hypocrite means in the Greek? Actor. Woe to you Pharisees, actors. God doesn't want us to be a bunch of actors. God wants us to be able to go before the people with a story to tell them, an experience to share. So step one, know your message. Have something to share. Have a message. Don't be an ahimiaz and run over those who actually have a message and become a messenger without a message. Number two, once you receive that message here, you must allow that message to go from the head to the heart. We are told in volume five of the Testimonies to the Church, page 213, it says very clearly, there are many who teach the truth who will not receive the seal of God in their forehead. They had the light of truth. They knew their master's will. They understood every point of our faith. But you know what she says? But they did not have corresponding works. You know what's even deeper than that? The next sentence says, they should have commanded their households after them. In other words, the corresponding works was that they did not take charge of their households. You mean to tell me there's a connection between the sanctuary, the seal of God, and the home? Yes. Yes. And Jesus is trying to get across to yours and my mind tonight. He wants to finish the work. There's nobody who wants the work to be finished more than Jesus. But Christ says, you need to let me in your heart for real. No game playing. The simple attendance of church will save nobody. Activity in the name of Jesus saves no one. Christ must be in you, the hope of glory. And if he's in you, he will live out his life through you. And you'll bear much fruit. So therefore, receive the message. Once you receive the message, take it from the head, and now it must be put into the heart, which means experiment your message. Experiment. And then through the intellect and the experimentation, Jesus says, begin that work in your home. And it doesn't have to take forever, but begin that work in your home. Assess in your minds, Father, do you know every anniversary, one of the things I get to ask my wife is I get to look at her in the eyes and I say, honey, have I been the house band that God has called me to be to you? I like anniversaries to be a serious assessment time. Have I been, I can either assume I'm a great husband or I can ask. Birthdays, all these different things, I go to my children, I ask them, has daddy been the father? Father's Day, has daddy been the father that God has called me to be to you? 
And your children are, children are very honest. Children will tell you, Daddy, you're on the cell phone too much, ministering to others. Children will tell you that. Because children are very honest. What I'm saying to you is that you must allow Christ to live out his life within you in home. Young people, there's some things you need to square away with your mothers and your fathers. Some young people have been absolutely rude to their parents and caused them undue and unnecessary heartache. I remember telling my mother, I said, Mom, I've been a demon in your life. I've been a demon. I said, I want to spend the last few years of your probation being an angel to you. I want to be an angel to you. And God allowed me to not only be an angel, God allowed me to share the three angels' messages with her, and she died in the banner of the three angels' messages. I said, Father, one down, one to go, and that was my dad. Hard nut to crack. I said, Dad, I've been a demon to you most of my life. I want to spend the last few years of your life being an angel to you. And I went to Dad, and I ministered to him. I did everything that I could to reach him. My sister played a tremendous role in sharing Jesus with him, even though she was of another faith. But it was interesting. I had to go to Dad, and I went to Dad, and I'll share this story with you, and then I'll close. I went to Dad, and the Lord just impressed me. Go see your father. And I went to see Dad, and I went there, and Dad was going through dementia. You know, his mind was just gone in another place. And I remember I was there, and Dad was, I just finished feeding him. I gave him some food. And he looked at me and he said, Dwayne, I said, I'm sorry that you have to feed me. I said, Dad, you spent my life feeding me. It's a privilege to feed you. He said, okay, and I fed Dad. And then he went to sleep. And I remember that I sat by his leg and I leaned my head on his legs. And I said, Lord, I wish so much I could just share with him the truth of your word. I wish I could give him a study. And then all of a sudden, while my head is on his leg, I heard a voice, and the voice said, Dwayne, and it was my father. I lifted up my head and I said, yes, Dad. I was ready to serve him, whatever he wanted. He looked at me and he said, would you teach me the Bible? Just like that. Would you teach me the Bible? I looked at Dad, I said, Dad, it would be an honor to teach you the Bible. And I gave my father righteousness by faith, 101. I walked him through it, and I said, Dad, did you hear what I just said? He said, yes. I said, repeat back to me what I just said. He said, you just told me, and he gave me the book, the chapter, and the verse. Did it several times. I finally got to Revelation 14, and I said, Dad, are you willing today to be counted amongst the patient saints? He said, Yes. I said, Dad, do you really accept this message? He says, Son, I accept this. I said, Dad, let's seal it with prayer. We prayed. I hugged him and I kissed him. And I left. I went to a camp meeting and had the most blessed time. And I was in the mountains, no cell phone signal or anything, so nobody could reach me. And then eventually I had some Wi-Fi connection and I went onto the internet and it was there on the internet that my, sister, my, my niece sent me a message through Facebook. And she said, Uncle Dwayne, I've been trying to reach you, but I wanted to let you know Grandpa has died. 
And I remember I was in shock because I wanted to see dad just a few days later to go see him again. And now he was dead. And I went on my knees and I went before God and I said, Father, you are righteous. Your ways are just. And I started to repeat the words of God in my mind. I did that because I heard Satan's voice whispering on the other side of my ear. And I had to fight him and combat him with the word of God and his promises that God is just and I'm not blaming God. And while I was there in prayer, it was as if I heard the voice of God say, I did it. And I was saying to myself, what do you mean you did it, Lord? He said, you remember what you asked me? And I said, what? And he said, you asked me to keep your father alive long enough to accept the third angel's message. I did it. And I burst in tears. I said, you did it. You actually did it. And I believe with all my heart, my father's grave marked for the first resurrection. I believe that. If you let Jesus in your heart, he will change you in such ways that even you will be surprised at the power of the gospel. But you got to take him seriously, brothers and sisters. Time is almost finished. And the question is asked, do you reflect the lovely image of Jesus as you should? Said my attending angel unto me, get ready, get ready, get ready. You will have to die a greater death to the world than you have ever yet died. With God, this is possible. If it's your desire to say, Lord, I've been working out of order. I have not fully understood your message. I've been active, I've been doing a lot of stuff. But I'm willing to start all over again. And I want Jesus in my heart in a very special way. And I want him to surprise even me of the power of the gospel. That's your desire. You're saying, Lord, I have yet to experience your power as I should, but Lord, I want to experience it tonight. And I choose to cooperate with you. Would you stand to your feet with me? You're willing to say, Lord, I want to cooperate with you. I want this experience. I must have it. I must have it. I must have it. And you will find that as you stand, Christ stands with you. And he's going to do marvelous things in you and through you for his glory. Brothers and sisters, we're almost home. The battle's going to get seriously severe. But if you give it all and if you truly surrender the will, you will find that that which Christ has begun in you, he will perform it until the perfect day. We're praying, Father in heaven, as we stand, we recognize, dear God, that many of us, we've been out of order. Please forgive us. Father, please make this thing real to us. Help thou our unbelief. 
I'm thankful for those wonderful words and inspiration that tells us that no one can overcome self by himself. And you said that when this is understood, that the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me, lift me to a holy atmosphere where the rich currents of thy love can flow through our souls. Please, Lord, do this tonight. And as all things are made well between ourselves and our Savior, help us to abide in you. Because your word promises us that he who abideth in Christ sinneth not. May this be our experience, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.